Our Old Testament lesson this morning comes from Psalm 3. It is Psalm 3, verses 1 through 8, which can be found on page 841 in your pew Bibles. And um, without a bit of understanding, this may sound uh, may sound pretty rough towards the end. Uh, there's a line about uh, breaking the teeth of the wicked. Yeah, which sounds pretty gross. Um, but this is a poem, and sometimes there are things symbolic in poetry. I think this is one of those things that you see in other psalms. Uh, the psalm is talking about um, the teeth of the enemies being like swords that are coming against them. And so it's if you imagine a sheep, you know, flock of sheep there, and you've got the wolves coming in with their teeth, that is their primary weapon. And so when it says break the teeth, you can think about it in those terms as destroy the threats against me. So it's, uh, I think, helpful when you understand some of the background there as to where this is coming from. Um, but anyway, this is a psalm of David when he fled from his son Absalom. And so, again, if you think about it in terms of um, <laughs> don't let his attacks have any, any punch to it, that's one thing. It's another to say, I want my son's teeth to be shattered. Anyway, so uh, this is Psalm Three, Psalm of David, when he fled from his son Absalom. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do um, thank you for this day. We thank you for your word that you have given to us. And God, we, uh, we thank you for all the rains that we have received recently. And God, as we see uh, the rain that produces uh, new growth as it falls on the land, you've said that your word is like that. So, God, as your word this morning falls on our ears, we pray that it would sink down deep into our minds and our hearts, that it would produce new growth in our lives. God, that it would not return to you void, but it would accomplish the purpose for which you sent it. The transformation of our hearts and lives as we uh, come closer to you in relationship with you through Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Psalm 3. Lord, how many are my foes, How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake again, because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. Turning then to our New Testament lesson, gospel lesson, Matthew 9, verses 35 through 38. I mentioned harvesting in the children's sermon. Matthew 9, 35 through 38, which can be found on page 15, 14 in your pew Bibles. And this is actually part of our uh, read scripture plan uh, reading for today. And so I did not mention that during the announcement time, but I'll mention it now. You should have one of these in your bulletin that is the read scripture plan. There's some information on there. There's also these cards in the back, if you've not gotten one of those, that tells more about our discussion time that we do on Wednesday nights. But uh, whether you come on Wednesday night or not, 
this is the plan that I hope we are all following together. And I have heard from some of you who say, I can't come on Wednesday nights, but I am doing the readings right along with everybody else. And that is great. Um, I would encourage you, if that is the case for you, uh, let me know that. And then also, if, uh, if that is the case, see if there might be some people who you can get together with on a weekly basis, maybe not on Wednesday night, but some other time during the week, to talk about what you're reading. Anyway, so as part of our reading for um, today, Matthew nine thirty-five through 38, it says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And then you'll see uh, tomorrow how that, how that plays out with what he then sends. Turning now to Acts chapter 20. We uh, pick up where we left off last week in Acts chapter 20, verses 13 through 38. And this is um, kind of a longer passage, but um, but it kind of needs to hold together. And I am hoping that though it's a longer passage, it'll be a shorter sermon, but you know, I really never know. Anyway. Sometimes you just get to going, you know? Anyway. This is Acts chapter 20, verses 13 uh, through 38, I believe. And, um, and in this passage, we had talked about last time where Paul was and what had been going on and how he's been trying to get to Rome. But right now he's on his way backtracking to Jerusalem to send the gifts to the people there who are in need. And we said before that we will see that this is actually a part of how he ends up getting to Rome is by going to Jerusalem first. So what seems like it's way out of the way is actually what's going to get him where he's been trying to go anyway. And before we begin uh, picking up where Paul is and kind of some of his travels there, I want to ask you um, a question. And this is a, this is a serious question to think about um, for your own life. And that is, go back in your mind. Think about when you were young, say, um, say maybe a freshman in high school. All right? We'll go back to that time. And I want you to think about what it was that you wanted most in life right then. Now, you may have gotten that. You may not have gotten that. But I want to, I want to have you think about if if when you were a freshman in high school, you got everything that you wanted, would that be better or worse than where you are now? In some cases, that may be better. I think for a lot of us, that's probably worse. And, um, and that hopefully, as we continue to grow, our desires change, and the things that we want most are different later on than they are when we're younger, um, you know, when you are, when you're five years old, you know, the thing you want most in life may just be as much candy as possible. 
Just, I, that's what I want. I just want more candy, more and more candy. As you get older, that ought to change. Anyway, um, but where you are now, then this is the next question. What is it that you want most in life? What is it that you are trying to build your life around, that you are aiming your life toward? And you think about it like a, um, like a vehicle on the road. You know, I think we have a lot of people who are just drunk driving their lives. They have no real uh, aim for where they're going. They're just sort of out there. And there's sort of a wake of destruction behind them in their lives, and you can see it happening. But if, if that's you, or if you find that you are on not even the right road, you're on the wrong road, you know what it is that you're supposed to do? If you're on the wrong road and you realize, you suddenly look at a map and you're like, whoa, this is not where I thought I was headed. We need to go the other way. What do you need to do? You need to turn around. Okay, what's the Bible word for that? Repent. That's all it means. And so if you find out you're on the wrong road, going the wrong direction, then the best way to get to where you need to go is to turn around. And that's the call to repent. And so when you hear that, whether from John the Baptist or from Jesus or others, uh, that's all they're saying. Turn your life around so you can get to where you actually need to be instead of where you're headed. Now, we're going to look at Paul in that same regard. He had been, this Paul, had been on the wrong road. He thought he was on the right road, but one day it became clear to him when he met Jesus that his whole life had been headed the wrong direction. And when we looked at Philippians chapter 3 several weeks ago, that's what that was uh, about when he was saying, I consider everything else that I have been building my life around, it's, it's all garbage. It's all garbage compared to knowing Jesus. That is the thing. And that is what I'm all about now. And so we're going to see how that works out even in, um, in his mission. And we're going to see that in his um, message. And we're going to see that in his methods. So I got all the three M's today so you can remember that. And we'll look Acts 20 starting in verse 13. He says, we went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Assos, where we were going to take Paul aboard. This is Luke talking, by the way. And he says, he had made this arrangement because he was going there on foot. When he met us at Assos, we took him aboard and went on to Mytilene. The next day, we set sail from there and arrived off Chios. The day after there, we crossed over to Samos, and on the following day, arrived at Miletus. Paul had, said, had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia, for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. All right. Do you need to hold all those place names in your head for right now? No. <laughs> this is just where they went. You can track it all on a map if you like. Um, but the main point right now is he's headed to Jerusalem, but he's not going to stop by Ephesus. He'd been in Ephesus, and he loved the people in Ephesus, but he's not going to stop there. Because uh, he needs to get on to Jerusalem. And if he stops there, he might stay. <laughs> he might stay longer than he intends to. I don't know. Uh, when Diane and I were at seminary, people would <laughs> refer to our apartment as the black hole of time. Because you'd come, and you just mean to stay for a few minutes, but then you end up staying much longer. And you're like, whoa, how is it already that time? That can't possibly be right. And so um, I think that's what Paul's afraid of. When he goes to Ephesus, he's going <laughs> to end up in the black hole of time. And what, what happened there? And so he's like, no, I'm not even going to go there. I'm just going to head on. But then, verse 17, from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. So now he's sending to them to come meet him where he is so he can say his goodbyes to them. 
And this is a very poignant conversation. If you have ever had these kinds of conversations where uh, you are saying goodbye to someone, maybe forever, or at least maybe for a long time, or maybe there's a transition in the relationship. This reminds me a lot of conversations, uh, whether at the bedside of a parent who is dying and are having those final words with their children, or even uh, parents and children as they are, uh, the child is getting married. And, you know, before the wedding, the parents will sit down with them and say, look, <laughs> just before they go out and say, I just have a few things to say to you <laughs> before this takes place. Or uh, even at, um, like if you're dropping your child off at college, and things are going to be different now. And so you say, you know, before you start this, before I go and live somewhere else, and you go live somewhere else, you know, before this happens, let me pass on some of the things that I want you to be sure to remember. That's this kind of conversation that Paul is now going to have with the elders of the church in Ephesus. He says, I'm going on from here, and I don't think I'm ever going to see you again. So here are the things that I want you to know. Here are the things that I want you to remember. And so, here it goes. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church, and when they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you, from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. I read that earlier in the book. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you, that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. Ah, that's hard stuff, isn't it? Goodbyes aren't fun. And as Paul uh, says this goodbye to these people that he loves so dearly, 
he talks about his mission. And he talks about his message. And he talks about his methods. And I think that he talks about those three things because that's what he wants them to remember. That, uh, so what is his mission? To put it in simple terms, his mission is to spread the good news of Jesus to everyone. To tell people about Jesus everywhere. To testify to the good news of God's grace. That's his mission. That's what he's about now. That's not what he was about as a younger man, but that is what he's about now, that he has met Jesus. And this is his mission, and it's what he's going about doing everywhere. And so if you look back at um, verse 24, However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. This is the aim of his life. It's not what it was when he was younger. It's not what he's gotten from other uh, people or places. He has not gotten the aim for his life from the advertisements on TV. He has gotten the aim for his life on, given him as the task given by Jesus Christ. He has given me this task, and I'm going to, to do that. That's what my life is going to be about now. And so that is the aim of my life. And, uh, and so this is, this is his mission, and the question that we need to reflect on ourselves is what is the aim of our life, and where did we get that? It's really easy to assume uh, that we are headed the right direction because everybody around us is headed the same direction. But that's not always the case. And so um, taking some time and really examining where is my life headed and why am I heading that way? Where did I get the idea that that's the way to go? Is this something that comes from Jesus or from somewhere or someone else? That's Paul's mission. It's the aim of his life. Second is the message. Did you notice, as we read through this, that he talked about the message that he's been preaching over and over again? And he talked about it in slightly different terms every time. Um, Verse 20, he says he's not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you. So that's one of the things that he's preaching is anything that's going to be helpful. I'll tell you that. And then verse 21, I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to, our, to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. We're talking about earlier, traveling down the road the wrong direction, turn around. And so he said, that's what I've been saying to everybody. Your life is going the wrong way. Turn around, turn to God instead of away from him. Then in uh, verse 24, as we just read, testifying to the good news of God's grace. This is not a message uh, of blasting people and telling them that they are sinners, but it's pointing out to them that if their lives are taking them away from God, and that's not where they want to end up, that there is good news, that God has provided Jesus, and he has provided grace 
mercy. In verse 27, it says he's not hesitated to proclaim the whole will of God. This is, um, this is something we do get in trouble for sometimes as Christians, is telling people just bits and pieces instead of the whole thing. Um, and it's one of the reasons why when we are preaching through the Bible, that's kind of how we go. It's just, what is the next passage? What is the next passage? Instead of, uh, what do I feel like preaching about right now? Um, but we want to get the whole Word of God. It's one of the reasons why we do the Read Scripture Plan, when we go through the whole of the Bible. It's one of the reasons why in the Sunday school classes we go through the whole of the Bible. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 3. Everyone's favorite section of the Bible. Now, this is Ezekiel 3, starting in verse 17. It says, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the people of Israel, so hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. When I say to a wicked person, you will surely die, and you do not warn them or speak out to dissuade them from their evil ways in order to save their life, that wicked person will die for their sin, and I will hold you accountable for their blood. But if you do warn the wicked person, and they do not turn from their wickedness, or from their evil ways, then they will die for their sin, but you will have saved yourself. And it goes on from there, but that is what I think Paul is referring to when he says, uh, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, because I have uh, not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. I've told you, I've told you, I've told you all that God has had to say. And so whether you decide to accept it or reject it, that's on you now, not on me. If I had not told you, that would still be on me. Now, for us in this regard, we all know people. We all know people who don't know the good news of Jesus. It is their responsibility to respond to hearing it. But they can't respond if we don't tell them. And if we don't tell them, that's on us. That is something that God has given us to do as those who know the good news, to tell them the good news. And so you can take a moment and think about um, the people you know who need to hear. And be praying now that God would give you an opportunity to share. Talk about Paul's mission and his message. Lastly, his method. His method, he describes throughout here so many different ways that he has done this but there is not a one-size-fits-all plan for here's how you do it. Basically, the way he does it is every possible way. That's it. Every possible way. And so he says, I've done this publicly and from house to house. Uh, he has um, talked to both Jews and Greeks. 
he has showed them through modeling in his own life. He has done everything in every way and wherever he's gone, the same kind of thing. And he says, you've seen this. You saw this from, from me for three years. Go and do the same thing. He gives them a warning where he says, watch out because there are going to be people who are going to be opposed to what, this, what you're doing. There are going to be people not only who haven't heard, who are against it from the outset, but there are even going to be people within the church who are going to try to distort this, take this a different direction, who are going to try to get disciples after themselves instead of disciples for Jesus. Watch out for that. But do what you've seen me doing. Continue to tell people about Jesus in every way. I looked for the book Green Eggs and Ham. Turns out we only own it in Spanish. I don't know why. So I did. I didn't bring that one this morning, um, but I, I hope I trust that you have all read Green Eggs and Ham and maybe remember how that story goes, where you have uh, the <laughs> the two characters. One says, "I want you to eat the green eggs and ham," and Sam, I am saying, "No, he's not going to eat the green eggs and ham. Just it, it doesn't look good to him." And they go through all the. Well, would you eat them? In a box, would you eat them with a fox? And no, I'm not going to do that. No matter what it is, he's not going to do it. And then by the end, he finally actually tastes and tries the green eggs and ham just to shut the other guy up. <laughs> and he tastes it and he says, Ooh, you know what? I do like this. And, and I would eat them in a box. And I would eat them with a fox. And I would eat them here and there. And I would eat them anywhere. I'm leaving out a lot of the details because I didn't have the book. But... But lots, yes, huevos verdes con jamón. Green eggs and ham in Spanish. So, uh, but that's the whole idea is at the end, he says, uh, thank you. Uh, you know, I do like them. Thank you, thank you, Sam, I am. Because um, I got the characters backwards. Sam, I am is the one trying to get him to eat it. So he finally eats it, and then he says he'll eat it anywhere. Like that's now, yes, yes, I like this so much. It doesn't matter where I am. This is what I'm about now. And I think that is what Paul has had happen in his life when he met Jesus and when he starts telling people about Jesus. And he wants the same thing for the Ephesians, that this is what would be the aim of their life. And I know, I think you know too, that we have more of that resistance to, uh, I, don't know about, I don't know about telling people about Jesus. That doesn't sound like that's my thing. I'll leave that to somebody else who that is their thing. That's not really my thing. And I know, and I understand that there are different gifts within the body. And there are some people who are more gifted toward evangelism. That is their spiritual gift. But I don't think there's any Christian who is off the hook just because some people have the gift of evangelism. I think every Christian, every Christian has the responsibility to tell the people around them about Jesus. And if you are the like Sam I am, and saying, yeah, I don't know about that. That's not really my thing. If you're like the farmer in the children's sermon, who says, well, no, there's not been a harvest because I'd never planted any seed. <laughs> Let me encourage you to take a step in that direction. Find somebody to talk to about Jesus 
trusting God with the result, but you planting the seed. And maybe you'll find like Sam I am, or like Paul himself, that you would tell people about Jesus in a box or with a fox <laughs> or on a train or in the rain. That you would tell Jesus, tell people about Jesus here and there and everywhere. I will also tell you this. If you have no idea how to begin, we've made it really easy this week. We do have these cards. And you can hand somebody one of these cards and say, I'd love for you to join us on Wednesday night for this Bible study. And you know what? Most people you give that to probably won't. And that's okay. But now you've opened the door for a conversation about why it is that you would ever get together with other people to talk about the Bible. Why it is that Scripture has an important place in your life. What it is that the whole story is about, or should I say, who it is that the whole story is about, and how he's made a difference in your own life. So you can hand this to somebody, and they may never come to a Bible study on Wednesday night. But if it opens the door for you to have that conversation, that's good. Talk at the beginning about the aim of Paul's life and about the aim of our life and where we're headed, where we're aiming our lives. And we'd ask the question, you know, if when you were a freshman in high school, if you got what you wanted, would that be a good thing or a bad thing? Let me ask you where you are now. Where is your life aiming? And if you actually get to the end of that road, is that a good thing or a bad thing? If it is the aim given to you by Jesus, if it is this kind of mission and involves this kind of message and in every kind of method, carry on and know that Jesus is with you on that road. If this is not the road you're on, if you find that you have gotten your aim and your life from someone or somewhere else, know that Jesus is there on that road too, calling you to turn around, to turn around, that there is good news for you, that there is another way, a way that has a much happier ending. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.